Well, folks, this morning, as I told you uh, last week, we're, we're taking a, a small advance from uh, uh, the preaching out of Isaiah. And so today, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 7. We already saw the story in the opening video this morning, but Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with them. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she bought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and she kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she was a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will, have, will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. As I was um, reflecting for this sermon, because I stepped away from Isaiah, I didn't have a, a necessarily scripture to point to, and I began praying and asking the Lord where he would have me preach from. And I have this uh, book that I was given as a Christmas gift a couple years ago. It's a devotional book. It's called A Guide to Prayer for Ministers and Other Servants. And I've been using this as my personal devotions. And this week, um, the devotions that I read this week all just gripped my soul as I read them. And the Lord has had, me try to, has had me incorporate some of these stories, some of these thoughts, into what I'm about to say to you today. I want to read to you the prayer that, that was from this devotion was read every morning. It says, O God, our Father, 
Renew our spirits and draw our hearts to thyself. That our work may not be to us a burden but a delight. And give us such love to you as may sweeten all our obedience. Help us that we may serve you with the cheerfulness and gladness of children. Delighting ourselves in you and rejoicing in all that is to the honor of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And I really found it intriguing that God had me reading this particular invocation on the mornings that I was the medic at the kids' camp. Help me to serve you with the cheerfulness and gladness of children, delighting myself in you and rejoicing in all that is to the honor of your name. And see, I've known Jesus since 1975. It's been almost 41 years since I gave my heart to Christ. And there are times in my own experience where it's just become commonplace, my walk with God. It's just who I am. I don't really think about it. It's just it's how I live. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, except when it comes to the idea that I become complacent or lackadaisical or careless about my relationship with God. Because, and I, I, I may be speaking a little bit in, 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 in hyperbole, I may be talking that it's a little bit more than it actually is, but there is a scripture in Romans chapter 1 that says, that God, as, and we, I, I quoted it as we were praying this morning, that God has made himself known. It's Romans chapter 1, verse 20. He said, God has made himself known to all of humanity through creation. There's not a single human that has ever lived that cannot say that there is a God. They can try, but they cannot with conviction truly say there is no God because he manifests himself through nature. But if you go down eight verses from that in Romans chapter 1, it does say, Paul speaking to the Romans says, there are people whom God has just turned over to their debased mind. They have literally rejected the love of God for so long and so frequently and continue to try to deny that there is a truth about life and that there is a God that loves them, that there's a Savior that's made available to them, that literally it gets to the point, well, let, let me just read that verse because I don't think I can quote it as better, I mean, I'll paraphrase it as well as I could just simply read it to you. Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossipers, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. 
It's like all the pigs go into the mud and slop around together and compliment each other on their vileness and say, it's okay. Whatever you want to do, it's okay. Join us. I will not try to become political here. But think about the culture in which we are living. The people who have continually rejected the truth of God and the way to live for God have literally gone over the the, 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 the deep down, I mean, over the cliff and fallen down into the deep end of the ravine, and they're welcoming all the rest that are falling over that cliff and saying, Join us in our depravity. It's fun down here. And God has allowed them to do that. It's a scary thought to think that the Father has finally said, You know, I've done all I can do. I washed my hands. I've given you the truth. You know it. It's there. If you refuse to receive it, there's nothing more that I can do. I will continue to welcome you if you'll turn, if you'll come to me. But until that time, you just have to wallow in your own darkness. And that's the world in which we live. It's dirt and yuck and mud and slime and they're rolling around in it saying, it's great, this is the best way to live. We just love on each other. Accepting everyone for who they are and where they are. And that try to twist our own way of thinking so that we feel guilty for calling someone a sinner who's sinning. Romans chapter 3, is it? No. I can't remember off the top of my head. Romans 6, Romans 3. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Those are the two passages I'm thinking of. One is Romans 6, one is Romans 3. But we live in the culture that says you don't have, you don't call anything sin. Don't speak of anyone else's vileness. Just to tolerate it. Love them. Accept them for who they are. That's the way you show love. You know, I've been in the hospital with people for the last number of weeks. And I, I, I think I shared this with you last week. I was in the room on Monday evening around 6 p.m. when the doctor came in and sat down at our friend's bedside and said, You have a choice to make. You can have surgery, I mean, you can, not, you can choose to not have surgery and you will die. Or you can choose to have surgery and you will die. Which do you choose? The, that doctor didn't pull any punches. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't say, well, you know, we never really know. He literally looked the man in the eye and he said, you're dying and there's nothing we can do about it. So tell us how you want to die and we'll make your death as pleasant as possible. That's what the doctor said to our friend two weeks ago. And that's the, the love that we should have to our neighbors. We should be loving enough that as we sit in our righteousness, a right relationship with God, knowing that we stand clean before God, we should go to the edge of the mud and say to them, You are dirty. Not my judgment, 
this is the righteous and holy standard of God. You are violating God's law. And you are a sinner. And I'm not trying to be unkind to you. I'm trying to show you in the most loving way that you have a need to wake up to your sin. You've literally gotten to the point where you just find this totally normal. You have closed your heart and your mind to the things of God to the point where you no longer realize that there's anything like dirt. It's just the way life is. Join us. We're in great company together. We all love each other as we're on our way to hell. And as those of us who have escaped that mud pit, those of us who have been washed clean by the blood of Christ, those of us who hold the truth and have the opportunity to share the truth, stand idly by as they just wallow in the mud on their way down to the, to the pit of hell. Because we don't want to seem unkind or unloving or intolerant. See, our culture, our culture has made us afraid of speaking truth. You need to speak truth in love, but our culture is afraid of making of, of us speaking truth. One of the things that I that I read this week in this devotional, it's not even Christian for heaven's sakes. It's talking about Japanese Buddhist Zen monks and their practices, but it spoke volumes to me. There is a, uh, a Japanese monk, philosopher, very famous. I never heard of him before I read this, but apparently he's very famous in the world. His name is Tanzan. And he tells a story, and I'm assuming it's just a parable. I don't think it's a true story. But in, this, in his teaching, he says, there were these two monks traveling together down a muddy road. A heavy rain was still falling. And as they came around a bend, they met a lovely girl in a silk kimono and sash. She was unable to cross the intersection because of the mud. So Tanzan walked over and said, Come on, girl, and lifted her up in his arms, and he carried her over the mud. His partner, Akito, did not speak again until that night when they reached the lodging temple. When he could no longer restrain himself, he turned to Tanzan and he said, We monks don't go near females, especially not young and lovely ones. It's dangerous. Why did you do that? And Tanzan turned to Akito and said, I left the girl there. Why are you still carrying her? And as I, I, as I reflected on that and thought about that for myself, I was trying to say, okay, God, what does that have to do with my life? How does that impact me as a Christian in my walk? And what I, what I think I heard the, the Holy Spirit whispering to me was, Akita was stuck in his religion. Tanzan was living his faith. He did a goodness. He did a kindness to another human being. He even violated his own religion to do so. And he walked and did what he needed to do, helped the young lady, and then continued on his walk. But his friend, who was stuck in his religious practices, 
was so concerned about the violation of the religious practices that he was blinded to the love that had been extended to the young woman. He was mortified that his friend would do such a thing and violate what it meant to be a monk. And for me, I know in my life, in the past, I have actually gotten that twisted up. I can't be your friend because your life is so vile and it will stain my reputation. Good, bad company corrupts good morals, don't you know? That's what the Bible says. But what God has shown me in the, la in the last ten years or so, my ministry here in Two Rivers is got to be like me being anchored to the solid ground, but then going out into the raging river and grabbing as many people as I can, one at a time or two at a time, and bringing them back to the solid ground where they can be safe. But I have to get out into that raging river, staying tethered and anchored to my safety, but going out where it's dangerous so that I can help as many as I can come to safety. That's the mindset that I've had. It's kind of a lifeboat thing where I'm in the lifeboat, the lifeboat is anchored to the, to the solid ground, and I'm in there going, pulling people into the lifeboat, and then rowing to shore and getting them into safety, and then going back out, putting myself in danger, that, uh, in, in harm's way, I should say, and with the idea that I'm trying to reach as many as I can, as they're literally floating by, just helpless to fight against the current themselves. So in my mind, I see myself acting as Tanzan, not Aikido. I have to be Christ to the people. See, if you go back to the video we saw at the very beginning of this service, if you were to liken the two, I would say Jesus was the Tanzan character and that Simon was the Aikido. What are you doing? Let that vile, stinky woman touch you. Don't you know she's a prostitute? Don't you know that she's living a life of sin? And Jesus is like, enough. She's showing great love to me because she knows where from where she came. And she knows how much it cost for her to receive forgiveness. And yeah, quote unquote, it does soil me to let her touch me. So And so, as again, as I reflected on this, as I was reading through the different devotionals, <clears throat> here's the other one that I came to. This one was done by Evelyn Underhill. <clears throat> if then we desire a simple test of the quality of our spiritual life, a consideration of the tranquility, gentleness, and strength with which we deal with the circumstances of our outward life will serve us better than anything that is based on the loftiness of our religious notions or fervor of our religious feelings. It is a test that can be applied anywhere and at any time. Tranquility, gentleness, and strength 
carrying us through the changes of weather, the ups and downs of the route, the varied surface of the road, the inequalities of family life, emotional and professional disappointments, the sudden intervention of bad fortune or good health, the rising and falling of our religious temperature. This is the threefold imprint of the Spirit on the souls surrendered to His great action. And let me go back, because I had to go back and read it multiple times. Tranquility, gentleness, and strength is a simple test of the quality of our spiritual life. Tranquility, peace, gentleness, and strength will carry us through anything. <clears throat> Where do I get this tranquility, this gentleness, this strength? Well, as I reflected, I am a Christian. When I confessed my sins to God and I received the gift of grace, I also received the gift of God's Holy Spirit to be a comforter and an advocate and a counselor to me. And as I have walked this Christian life, I have recognized that God calls me not only to live cleanly, but to live a holy and righteous life before him and the world. And the way that I do that, I have come to understand, is I basically consecrate all that I am. All of my past, all of my present, and all of my hopes and dreams of the future, and I lay it at the throne of God, and I say, I give you all of me, God, Please be my Lord, not just my Savior. And as I do that, I understand and recognize that God the Holy Spirit literally fills me with holiness and empowers me to live the life that God wants me to live. And as I walk in this relationship of surrender and consecration to God's Holy Spirit, I receive Christ-likeness. I become more and more Christ-like as I walk. And if you look in Galatians chapter 5, verses 20 through, 22 through 24, the fruit of the Spirit is what we see as evidence of this holiness, this Christ-likeness coming about in our lives. And what is the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Somebody turn to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, and just read it out loud for us. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. The fruit of the Spirit is, and if you could read it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Okay, read those seven fruit again, loudly, please. Slowly. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. A simple test of the quality of my spiritual life is threefold. In every situation, as I walk through life, do I, have, do I experience tranquility, peace, gentleness, and what was the last one? Strength. 
You see, as I walk Christ-likely, <laughs> as I walk as a Christian, trying to be more like Jesus, those elements, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, or tranquility, gentleness, and strength, get me through everything. I don't have to worry about, quote-unquote, violating my religion because I'm walking as Christ walked. And I'm showing love to everyone. And I'm allowing the Holy Spirit of God to guide me. And sometimes it may be that God asks me to walk in the middle of the mud. Put my arm around the muddy, grimy, slimy person that's rolling around in the mud so that I can help them to see the light that they can't see. Because the only way they're going to see it is for me to come alongside. And yes, that does mean that I soil a little bit, get soiled a little bit. It does mean that, oh my goodness, I might tarnish my reputation by going to that place in order to be with that person. But isn't it more important that one sinner come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and go to heaven for all of eternity than you keep your holy robes clean? I think the answer for me is yes. It is more important that the truth of the gospel be spoken into the lives of those around me and that I help those who can to know Jesus. As we close out our time this morning, there's a song that I found. It's done by uh, um, Fernando Ortega. I've got the video recorded. I want us to just listen quietly, meditatively, and let the Holy Spirit speak to us. And then we'll close our time with prayer. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of you. Go in his peace. Amen.